8 and chapter from which we have such assurances as the fact that the sufferings of this present world aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that God has in store for us. We find assurances such as all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We have assurances such as the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody that counts. And the chapter closes out with a wonderful thought that nothing or no one can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, we might, uh, as we finish that up, we find that what we've been studying in Romans is the matter of righteousness, being made righteous before God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The first three chapters of Romans demonstrate the tremendous need for righteousness, that none of us live up to the standard that God has set in and of ourselves. We all fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, we deserve God's judgment. That's true of the pagan. That's true of a moral man. That's also true of religious people. Religion won't make you right with God. Not even the Jewish religion will make you right with God. Thank God in chapters 4 and 5, it talks about how we can be right with God and the righteousness that God has provided where we can be justified freely by His grace through what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. And God, God's expectation of us is that we respond to that in faith. We're justified by faith apart from works of the law. And uh, God loved us so much that he sent his son and he died for us while we were still sinners, while we were without hope, without help. In chapter 6 through 8, it talks about how that righteousness plays out in our life right now. It's one thing to be declared righteous in the eyes of God, and that's of extreme importance that we be right with God. One of these days, that's all that's going to matter when you stand before God. Does he find you righteous or does he not find you righteous? And if you're in Christ, he finds you righteous. But it also affects the way that we live our lives right here, right now. And a righteousness is to be demonstrated in our daily lives. We experience it. In chapter 6, it describes the, uh, the right way of, of living a holy life. We keep our eyes focused on Christ and who he is. And chapter 7 describes the wrong way, where we focus on a, a list of things and, and just kind of try to live by those. And in chapter 8, talks about the help that we get from the Holy Spirit to live the kind of life that God wants us to, to live and to have that righteous experience. We find that the book of Romans has three major sections to it. And uh, the first one, chapters 1 through 8 that we just talked about, and we, we might expect, if Paul did in Romans as he does in others of his, his writings, we might expect to go right straight to chapter 12 through 16, where it gives the practical application. Okay, if we're righteous in Christ, what's that going to look like in our daily lives right here, right now? Uh, how do we live that, that Christian life? How's it demonstrated? How's it flow out of us? But we don't go right to chapter 12. I know even in the new math that uh, 12 doesn't come right after 8. Instead, we have sandwiched in between there chapters 9 through uh, 11. And uh, this is what we might call a dispensational section where the, 
the main subject is, is Israel. You see, there's a, there's a problem. Uh, Jesus came uh, in fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. Jewish, Jesus came as, as was born a Jew, born to a Jewish virgin. He, he came to offer the kingdom to the nation of Israel to be their king. But the fact of the matter is, most Jews reject Jesus as Messiah. It was the Jews that screamed out for Pilate to crucify him. Uh, it was the Jewish leaders that, that spread lies about him and false testimony and, and were really behind the crucifixion. And uh, so th there's a problem there. The question's asked, well, okay, if, he's, if Jesus is really the Messiah, why do most Jews reject him? And if, if most Jews reject him, maybe he's not the, the real Messiah. The question comes up. And then if he is the real Messiah, and God has set aside Israel today from the center of his program, what's that say about promises God made to, to Abraham? Is he going to keep those promises or not? If, he, if he's not going to keep his promises to Abraham, is he going to keep the promises of salvation that he's made to us? Is he going to honor what he says in John three sixteen? Is that really something we can depend upon? We said... The main theme in chapters 9 through 11 is Israel. Uh, Israel is the focal point in the Old Testament, but it's in the New Testament age. We find the age of grace, God's working primarily through the church, and Israel's on the sideline. And uh, we find that concerning Israel, chapter 9 talks about God's choosing of Israel before the foundation of the world to be his chosen nation through whom he would work in, in the other nations. In chapter 10, talks about the rejection of Israel. In chapter 11, it talks about the restoration of Israel. This morning, we focus on, uh, on chapter 9 to begin with. And once again, chapters 9 through 11 deal with these questions, questions about uh, concerning Israel and the gospel of Jesus. And if, if Once again, if Israel rejects Jesus, is he perhaps maybe not the real Messiah and the real Savior? Well, that's certainly not what we believe this morning. That's certainly not what the scriptures teach. But the, the, the question needs to be dealt with. And Paul, as he, he went about ministering, bumped into these questions repeatedly, I'm sure. So he, he, he deals with an answer to them here in chapters 9 through 11. And they are, this, these are three extremely important chapters of scripture that center in this matter of Israel and center on, on God. Because you start questioning, okay, if, if God didn't keep his promises to Abraham, and God's not ever going to keep his promises to Abraham, then, then we got some issues with the faithfulness of God. If God's not going to be true to Abraham, will he be true to us? So the, this, these are some important issues that we'll tackle in these three chapters over the next several weeks. As we look at chapter 9, we find that it starts talking about the Paul introduces this problem of Israel, and the fact is most Jews reject Jesus as Messiah, and they become proud of the privileges that they have. We've had the prophets. We've had the scriptures. We've had the temple. And they counted on those privileges to make them right with God, and many Jews still do that today. But the fact of the matter is, for the most part, Israel as a nation is lost. Now, that's not without exception, thank God. There are individual Jews that, that come to Jesus Christ. Paul was a Jew. 
the, the 12 apostles were, were, were Jews. The James, that was the, uh, the head of the church in Jerusalem, half-brother of Jesus, he was a Jew. There are many Jewish believers today, so we're not talking about Jews without exception, but if you go over to Israel today and you start preaching Jesus on the street corners, you may get in pro- trouble over there, big trouble over there. Uh, the, Jewish, the, the Jewish people as a nation as a whole have turned from the Lord Jesus Christ. They do not accept him as their Messiah. They do not accept him as their Savior. And that's not without exception. And also, it's not permanent. It's not permanent. I guarantee you when God makes a promise, he keeps his promises. And if he hasn't kept it yet, what's that mean? That means he's going to keep it tomorrow. He's going to keep it the next day. But God does keep his promises, and God's timing is absolutely perfect. And what, what a thrill it is to see that time and time again in our lives as we sometimes wonder, God, what are you doing? And then we see God comes through in amazing fashion with his perfect timing in things. We find that as Paul thinks about Israel being lost, it's very, very troubling to him as he speaks of here. And, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm telling the truth here. And he claims three witnesses. He says, Christ is my witness. I'm telling you the, the absolute truth. My conscience is clear. What I'm telling you is, is factual. It's absolute truth. And uh, the Holy Spirit's also bearing me witness as well. And, and, and what's he going on to say? Well, he's going on to say, I, he says, I'm not against Israel. The, the Jews would have rejected Paul and thought that he was a traitor. He had been a, a Pharisee, and he was of the tribe of Benjamin, and he had persecuted the church to begin with until Jesus got a hold of him on the Damascus Road. And, and then he becomes the, the greatest evangelist that the church has still ever seen to this day. And the Jewish people would have considered him a traitor. You're a traitor to your own kind. You, you hate a, they might even call him anti-Semitic. Uh, but, but that wasn't the case. Paul goes on here, and we see he has tremendous sorrow over the spiritual condition of of Israel. By the way, they didn't treat him very well. There there were times when when Paul went into a city and he preached the gospel. He usually started in the synagogue, and eventually he gets kicked out of the synagogue. Sometimes he gets kicked out of the city. Sometimes they stirred up riots. On one occasion, he was stoned because of the, the message of Christ that he preached. And it was a lot that was the Jewish leaders that were behind this. And, and yet we see Paul's response to those who were against him. He says, I got great sorrow over their lost condition. He sees that their real problem was that they were, they were lost. They were blind to the truth. And he still has a great concern for them. And in fact, he says something amazing here. We see something about the extent of his concern. He says, I could wish myself accursed from Christ if somehow it would mean that would bring Israel to the Lord Jesus. I'll tell you what, that's something, isn't it? That he could have that kind of compassion, that kind of love for his people, that kind of concern that he could say, I would be willing to be accursed from Christ myself if it would bring Israel to the place where they'd embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only did he not hate the Jewish people, was he not embittered against the Jewish people, he continued to have a love and a compassion for them. And he said if, if it would bring them to Christ, 
I would be willing to be accursed from Christ. Now, from what we learn in the last part of Romans 8, that's impossible. You know, Paul was in the love in, in Christ Jesus. He experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus. He, he was in Christ, and there's no way when you're in Christ that you can be cut off from that. There's no way that, that he could have lost his relationship with Christ. By the way, even if he did lose his relationship with Christ, which he couldn't, that would not have brought Israel to Christ. You know, there, there's nothing that anybody else can do that can make you a Christian. That's something you have to, that's a responsibility you have to take care of yourself. Now, we can teach people. We can share the gospel of Christ with people. We can model Christ in front of people. But there's nobody that anybody else can do that can make you a Christian. I don't care if mom and dad are both Christian. If your grandparents were Christian. If your grandfather was a preacher. That doesn't make you a Christian. The only thing that makes you a Christian is repenting of your sin and taking Christ to be your own personal Lord and Savior. Every person in this room is responsible to do that for ourselves. Nobody else. Nobody else's faithfulness can be reckoned to our account. Only the, the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ can be put to our account when we put our faith and our trust in him. It's, a, it's an amazing hypothetical statement that Paul makes here. And uh, we, we, can, uh, we can share the gospel with people, and we should. And we also can share the love of Christ with people, and we should. We ought to be Christ-like in the way that we treat others. And I don't know about you, but as I, when I read this and see that in Paul, i got to ask myself, how much do I care about other people? How much do I really love other people? Do I really care that, that people in my family may be going to hell? Do I care that friends and neighbors and those around me without Christ, are headed for eternal condemnation. Paul cared. He cared. And he cared about some people that didn't treat him very well. He still cared about them and said, I could wish myself a curse if it would bring Israel to Christ. Well, it, 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 he was the apostle of the Gentiles, but, but he still had a love for Israel. In fact, when he went into a, a city... He went to the Jews first. He went to the synagogue and started preaching the gospel there, knowing pretty much what was going to happen. He's not going to get away with that very long. Pretty soon they're going to run him out of there, and who knows what they're going to try to do to him. But he cared enough about them that he consistently shared Christ with them. He consistently shared the love of Christ with them as well. You got anybody in your family that doesn't treat you very well? Because you're a Christian, you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to keep loving that person. He wants you to keep sharing the gospel with that person. He wants you to keep modeling Christ in front of that person. And, and that's really a responsibility we all have. Why? Because God wants us to love people the way that he does. He wants us to love people the way that Jesus does. And I don't know about you, but I am really thankful today so while I was still a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for me when I was his enemy. Got any enemies? Got anybody that you think's opposed to you today? What are you supposed to do? You model Christ in front of them. You share the love of Christ with them. And if they don't know Christ as Savior, 
you share the good news of the gospel with them as well. I'm challenged here by Paul's concern for Israel. I hope you are too. I hope, I hope you can't walk out of here this morning and not care that you have loved ones that are on their way to hell. How much do you care about them? Well, you can't give up your salvation so they can get saved, but maybe there's something you can do. Maybe you can tell them about Christ. Maybe you can show Christian love to them in the way that you live your life. Great concern that Paul has. Now, we, we find that we ought to have this kind of motivation and, and really care about other people. He goes on and he talks in this passage about the privileges that, that Israel had. He said, first of all, they have, they have the adoption. They have the adoption as a son. There's places in the Old Testament in, in Exodus 4 and, and Jeremiah 31 where the nation as a whole is called God's son. Now, as, as individual Christians, you and I are called the children of God today if we know Christ as Savior. But the nation as a whole was called God's son back in the Old Testament. They had a, a very special place in the program of God. God began with Abraham and worked through Abraham's family and gave them a very, very special position. It was like the other nations of the world were, were orphans. But, but God wanted to work through Israel to reach out to the other nations of the world. He said they also have the glory. The glory is talking about the, the Shekinah glory that demonstrated the very presence of God. And the Shekinah glory showed up in a number of places. It showed up in Mount Sinai as they saw that mountain glowing and they saw the fire and they saw the glory of God and they heard God speak to them in an audible voice and they said, God, don't speak to us that way. They were overwhelmed by the glory of God. They said, speak to us through Moses instead. So God then spoke to them through Moses. But they got a glimpse of God's glory. And then they, they were led by the glory cloud from one place to another fire by night and a cloud of glory by day and eventually when the tabernacle was built that glory cloud went down and it, it took up residence in the holy of holies uh, on the ark of the covenant between the cherubim with the golden wings there and it was a demonstration of the fact that god's glory was there with his people they had that we don't have that we don't see the shekinah glory over the white house we don't see the Shekinah glory over the Congress building there in, in the Capitol. We don't, see, we don't have that. Uh, we don't get to see that. We don't even get to see it on television, let alone see it live. But Israel had seen a, a tremendous manifestation of the glory of God. Now, we find that uh, three of the apostles got to see a little bit of that on the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw Jesus transfigured in his glory and there was with Moses and Elijah and that they got a glimpse of we don't get to see that Israel got that God's real God's demonstrated his reality in amazing ways and down through the years and the centuries and the millennia the greatest way he's demonstrated his glory is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ Israel got to see his glory Israel got the covenants they got the covenant made with Abraham where God made an unconditional covenant and said, Abraham, I'm going to take you someplace and you go where I'm going to tell you to go and I'm going to give you land. Uh, the, the, the land between the river Euphrates and the, the river Nile, the river of Egypt, that's all going to belong to your family. 
By the way, they, Israel's never had that much land. One of these days, they will. I, I'm going to give you seed. I'm going to give you descendants like the stars in the sky, like the grains of sand on the seashore. I'm going to give that to you. And I'm going to give you blessing. And I'm going to give you one special seed. And through your special seed, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a covenant made with Moses where he directed the nation as to how they were to live. There was a covenant made with David that, that demonstrated that uh, there was going to be an eternal king that one day was going to come from David's line. It was to Israel. They, they gave, God gave the law. God gave the temple service, the uh, uh, sacrifices and all that took place in the tabernacle and in the temple pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave them tremendous promises. It's Israel that has the fathers. You know, we talk about the fathers of our country, uh, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, and we were having a tax put on them these days because they weren't perfect men. By the way, if you do get a perfect preacher here one of these days, he's going to be awful lonely because there's nobody else there that is perfect. <laughs> so anyhow, they had, they had the fathers. They could look back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and see how God had worked in their lives in a remarkable fashion. And, and, and most important of all, they had the Messiah. Jesus, when he was born into this world, was born of a Jewish virgin. He had Jewish blood coursing through his veins. The blood that flowed down Calvary's cross was, was Jewish blood that flowed from him and paid for our sins. Uh, Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, according to the flesh, he was a Jew. And, but that's not all he was. And I, I love that statement where it says in verse 5, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. Who is over all? Jesus is over all. And then, don't miss this, the eternally blessed God. Do you know what that's saying? That's saying Jesus is, help me out here, God. Amen. Jesus is God. Our Savior is God. He is Lord. We sang it this morning, and that Lord, the term Lord has the connotation of deity. He is God, and he's the Savior who came into this world and left the throne of heaven and came into the world to die on the cross for our sins. What a blessing. You know, the, 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 one of the sad things is, though, Israel's privileges pointed them to Jesus. But, but pri having privileges isn't enough. You know what comes along with privileges? Parents, what comes along with privileges? Responsibility. That's right. And when God gave Israel privileges, they had responsibility. You know what the responsibility was? Trust Jesus. Receive the Messiah. Repent of your sin. Believe in him. Take him to be your Lord. Take him to be your Savior. Worship him as your Savior and your God. They needed to uh, respond, not by being proud, saying, hey, I got all these wonderful privileges. They needed to respond with repentance of their own sin and faith in Christ alone for salvation. The fact of the matter is, you and I have lots of privileges, don't we? In this world today, people have tremendous spiritual privileges. For one thing, we live on this side of the cross 
and this side of the empty tomb. Aren't you glad? We're not looking ahead to the cross. We're not looking ahead to the resurrection. We look back on these as historical events that have already taken place with plenty of eyewitness testimony that's there to tell us that this has already taken place. Do you know God loves you today? Do you know how you can know God loves you today? You can look back at that cross. Do you know that God is sovereign today and Jesus is Lord and that he really is coming back one of these days? You can look back to that empty tomb. What a privileged position we live in today, right? And we got, maybe you got the privileged position of having Christian parents like I did. I am so thankful for that. I'm thankful for a mom and dad that started teaching me about Jesus from the time that I was very, very young. I'm thankful for Christian grandparents that I had in my life. Some of you have those privileges. We, we have the Bible in English today. In fact, we got so many versions of the Bible in English today, Christians fight about it. And that's sad. It's a blessing. It's a blessing that we have so many scriptures available to us in the English language that we can read, where we can read the gospel. It's a privilege. We have Christian literature that's out there and other Christian media that's available to, to hear the message and hear about God and hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. We got churches all over the place that are gospel preaching churches. Now, those that don't preach the gospel, they, there are those. But there's plenty of gospel preaching churches. We got all kinds of privileges. But you know, just having the privileges isn't enough. Like the Jews, we need to respond to them. And we need to make sure that we know Christ as our Savior, that we've surrendered to Him, taken Him to be our Lord, to be our Savior, and we're living our lives for Him. One other thing here that I think we need to be careful of. In addition to having the responsibility to respond to Jesus, we also need to be careful that we don't become calloused towards lost people. And say, well, they, they've got the Bible. They can read that. Uh, they, they've got Christian radio out there. They've got John MacArthur. They've got David Jeremiah. They've got Chuck Swindoll. They've got Charles Stanley. They've got all these messages being beamed out over the airway. You know, they've got all that going. If they... If, you know, if they don't respond to what they already have, well, just let them go to hell then. I say that reverently, by the way. Hell is a real place. You don't want to use that term flippantly. But I think sometimes we, we can get become callous towards people. That's not what we see in Paul. And, and that shouldn't be seen in us. May people continue to see us with a, a compassion like Jesus had, with a compassion like Paul had, and may we care about lost people, even lost people that are mean to us, to us. May we continue to share the love of Christ with them. And as God gives us opportunity, may we share the gospel of Christ with them. Because that's the only hope they have. You know, I'm so thankful. Lost people can be found. Amen? Spiritually blind people can see. It takes God to do it. But, but God wants to use me, you and me in the process. Isn't that wonderful? He wants to use instruments like you and me. And then he wants to change people's lives. He wants to take somebody like the Apostle Paul who was headed for Damascus to torture Christians and turn him into the Apostle Paul and use him in tremendous fashion. We need to keep lovingly, compassionately sharing Jesus with people that are still lost. Don't become calloused. 
towards unsaved people. No matter what their individual sins are, no matter there are some, some of the sins that we really pick on today or whatever, you know what all sinners need? They all need to be saved by God's grace. They all need Jesus. We get to play a part in that wonderful process. What a privilege. What a joy. If you're here this morning, you've got a great privilege. You just heard the gospel again. Christ died for your sins. You're a sinner who needs a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. You need to repent of your sin and put your faith in Him. You've got a privilege. You need to respond to it. If you've responded to it, then we've got the responsibility to also be sharing that great message with other people. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to respond to the great privileges that you've given to us. And may Christ be seen and may Christ be glorified in, in each and every one of our lives. We know that all those privileges Israel had were all pointing to Jesus. We know that the Bible today points us to Jesus. The, the creation we see around us points us to Jesus. The gospel points us to Jesus. And Father, I pray that there's anybody in this auditorium that's trying to live their life without Jesus. I pray they might surrender to him today. And I pray if there's any of us as Christians who sometimes let Jesus sleep into the background and we're not living faithfully for him, God, would you convict us of that? And would you show us once again the great privilege that we have to serve Christ and to model him before a lost and dying world? We'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you